Good morning and happy Wednesday to you. It is Wednesday, September 7th at 7 a.m. And even though I'm on vacation, we have Roadmap to Heaven for you right here on Covenant Network. Let's begin the day in prayer as we always do in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we mentioned yesterday, I'm on vacation this week, so we are going to bring you some of our favorite segments we've ever aired here on Roadmap to Heaven in the last two and a half years. Today, we're going to start with an interview we did with Patty Schneier back in October of 2020 on the topic of beauty, and it's one of my favorite segments we have ever aired. Then we're going to go to a great conversation we had with Monsignor Eugene Morris in October of last year on the topic of humility. I'm sure you'll enjoy both of those. In the meantime, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll continue this Look Back episode of Roadmap to Heaven. Today is the feast day of Blessed Frederick Ozanam. Born in Italy in 1813, his family moved to France as they raised their 14 children, but only three would survive to adulthood. As a young man, Frederick began to doubt his Catholic faith, but numerous conversations with a priest in Lyons helped him gradually regain his trust in God, and from that point on, he became an advocate for the Lord's children, especially his poor children. In 1831, he went to study law at the Sorbonne, defending the Catholic Church when other professors mocked her during their lectures, and while there started a debate group with members that included both those with great faith and those who had none at all. It was designed to allow all to argue their beliefs. At one point, a member of this club said, let's be frank, what do you do besides talk about your faith? This completely threw Frederick, but also moved him, and soon he and his friends began to visit the poorest parts of Paris, eventually helping to start the St. Vincent de Paul Society. While Frederick finished his law degree, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul grew, spreading across Paris, then France, then the rest of Europe. He married Amélie, and they had a daughter, Marie. Revolution had left nearly 300,000 people without work in France. Frederick guided the St. Vincent de Paul Society to provide aid when there was no other source for help. He always struggled with his health, and in 1852 went with his wife and daughter to Italy to try and recover from illness, but a year later, he died. At his funeral, longtime friend Father Lacordaire said Frederick was one of those in whom God joins tenderness and genius in order to enkindle the world. Blessed Frederick Ozanam, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts.
We are back. If you're just joining us today, it's a look back episode of Roadmap to Heaven. And we want to jump back to the segment that we aired in October of 2020 with Patty Schneier on the topic of beauty. And I hope it is inspiring for you today, just as it was inspiring for us back then. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We are talking everyday practical tips with our good friend, Patty Schneier. Patty, so good to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Adam. Love to be with you and all the listeners of Covenant Network. It's, you know, it's a treat to be with our listeners each and every day. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Patty, I'm thinking back to a quote I heard from St. Thomas Aquinas. Beauty is that which when seen pleases. Beauty is that which when seen pleases. And I think of all of the beautiful things I get to enjoy in life. I, I talk about often on the show, sitting here and, and seeing the image of our Lord with the Sacred Heart, seeing out the tree, uh, the window at the trees in the morning with the sun glistening on them, the, the beauty of a sunrise, of a sunset, or just the joy, more often than not, the joy of my five children uh, being themselves when they're at play, when they're just living out what it means to be a child. Why is beauty so important. We know it pleases, but why is it so important? Well, I think to um, we were made for all goodness, beauty, and love. We're made for God, and He is the personification of all goodness, beauty, and love, and truth. And He created this world out of nothing and made it so beautiful. We're in awe of it, but it's just a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, of course, and that is our destiny. So we have, I think every person has within them this longing for beauty, it is just stamped within our flesh, within our soul, within our being to um, want and desire beauty. And of course, it comes in so many different ways. We can experience beauty, but I think in our faith, in our Catholic faith, it is so beautiful. And that's one of my goals as a Catholic speaker and as a mom too, as, as you know, we evangelize, I evangelize in, at big events, but I also, my primary Focus of evangelization has always been my own, within my own family, within my, my husband and my three children. And so I think beauty plays a part in how we evangelize and how we teach the faith to our children, how we portray it, how we experience our faith. And praise God, our Catholic faith, our Catholic tradition, our Catholic church has so many ways to experience beauty. And I think we need to tap into that as parents for our children so that they can see the beauty of the Catholic faith. And one of the ways to do that is through Catholic art. We have a rich tradition of Catholic art. Again, you have to acquire a taste for it, of course, but if you expose someone to Catholic art, it is so beautiful. And so you can find beauty in architecture, in the beautiful cathedrals that we have. I mean, just going down to our cathedral basilica or to so many of the beautiful churches in St. Louis, we would take our kids on tours of these shrines and cathedrals and beautiful churches that are here within our own archdiocese and beyond. So we would take little outings and go down to Perryville to the Shrine of the, you know, uh, Miraculous Medal. Or we would go to um, the Shrine of St. Joseph here in St. Louis and let them see the beauty, the beauty of the stained glass. And then why is it important? It's telling the story of our faith. So we would expose them to art and architecture and let them see that beauty. Um, I think that's really, really important. I think, of course, experiencing God in creation and in nature, the beauty of that 
But then in those moments when you see something beautiful, let them have the awe and wonder of God creating it. So, yeah, oh, isn't that sunset awesome or isn't that sunrise beautiful? But then start asking the questions to your children. What do you think God was thinking of when he had in mind a sunrise? Or how do you think God created the clouds and the sun and the sky? How, you know, start that awe and wonder of beauty always in the context of God the creator. I think that's a really important lesson for our kids just to get them started. Exactly. You know, I think uh, recently my, my daughters and I were watching a video on the Cathedral Basilica, and one of them remarked, that's beautiful, I want to go there. And I said, all right, that's an automatic ticket. We're going to Sunday Mass at the Cathedral so you can partake in that beauty. You know, I also think it's so important that we take that effort to cultivate beauty because, again, you know, last time you were with us, we were talking about what's the point. And sometimes um, people say, what's the point in going through all of this work, maybe for, for one prayer, for one Mass, to put out all of these candles or to put out all of this, all of these flowers or to do all of this? It's just going to, you know, when we're done, we're going to put it all away. Anyway, w- why take that effort? And beauty has a very special way of speaking to the soul. Yes, and I think it's also really, really important because Catholics in general have been criticized by many of our Protestant brothers and sisters for our ornate statues, stained glass windows, the marble, the flowers, all of these things. Well, why do you do that? You don't need that. But to say again, what's the point? Why do we have salvation history portrayed in mosaics, in 41 million mosaics at our Cathedral Basilica? Or if you go to... Uh, if you travel in Europe and you see these, again, beautiful, beautiful churches, well, it's because when you enter, it's for all of us to be able to lift our heart and mind and soul to God immediately. You can't help but raise your eyes up, lift your heart to heaven. And it tells a story. For those who cannot read and write, for the youngest, for the oldest, for whoever it is, or back in history, those that didn't even learn to read and write, it had a point to show, to tell the story. Our statues, we are physical beings. Our statue, think of the artist and the love of that artist who who chiseled, who sculpted, you know, the the pieta out of love for for our Lord and the Blessed Mother in that moment. That was an act of, of prayer. And because when we see something so beautiful in stone, for example, we remember the moment we can whisper a prayer. It just, the point is for us, for our hearts to be lifted to God, to heaven. It's a spiritual thing. And I think that's really important. That's the message of art. You know, it's the difference. If we go to just in art, for example, if you look at the Sistine Chapel, it's to show the story of creation. It's to show God and his magnificent power in creating the human body and how beautiful it is. So those are just some lessons that we can take to our children about our faith, through beauty, through art. And there's one other aspect I think I want to bring out about the beauty of our Catholic faith that is very, very important to teach our children. And that's the beauty found in unity. Unity can be experienced in so many ways. But I think when one of the things I remember doing with our kids is teaching them the unity of our Catholic faith, that no matter where we were in the world, that the mass is the mass is the mass. And you can walk into any Catholic church and you can find Stations of the Cross and the Tabernacle and the Sanctuary Light. And we would always go in wherever we were visiting and say, okay, what is it about this church that's the same as ours back home? 
Where's that unity so that you can see it, you can experience it? Or out mass, how is it similar? And I think that security, that beauty of unity is so important to explain and to teach our children so that they can appreciate that beauty. It really is an immersive thing. Uh, beauty is all around us if we know where to look for it. And it does, we do have to develop an eye for beauty sometimes, but sometimes God just works in amazing ways that it, we just see it and we're, we're overwhelmed, whether it's the stained glass or the cathedral, the, the, the smells and bells of our mm, liturgies, yes. the beauty of creation. I mean, I think back, go, going back to something you just said, I used to work at the mall in a little chocolate store at the mall. And every, every evening there was this couple, they would come in with their son and they were a traditional Muslim couple. And so she wore pretty much uh, covered every part of her body except for her face and her hands. And I, I can't tell you what she looked like, except I always remember thinking she had the most beautiful smile and the most beautiful eyes. And there was some beauty about how her and her husband and her family, uh, when they were together, and again, that's just seeing the beauty of joy, the beauty of, of God's creation, and not going down rabbit holes we don't need to, to go down. You know. Absolutely. And always, always the beauty of family love. So important to point that out wherever you see it, whether you're at grandma and grandpa's and you just are driving home in the car and you say, isn't it beautiful, their love over all these years? Uh, wherever, or you're at a baptism of a new cousin, isn't it beautiful to see a new baby being ushered into the life of the church and being initiated as a child of God? Always, always with the, the uh, focus on look at the beauty of our faith from the moment we are born until we our last dying breath. Our faith is with us on that journey, and it's so beautiful. It is. Well, Patty, thanks for being with us again today to talk about beauty. My pleasure. So good to be with you, and I hope everyone has a beautiful day. I do as well. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and we will be back right after this. Prayer for our country. O Mary, who from the beginning received from God the mission and power to crush the serpent's head, by your holy and immaculate conception, deliver our government and its people from the influence of the evil one. We trust in you as our mother and queen. Our next segment on this Look Back edition of Roadmap to Heaven is a lengthy conversation we had with Monsignor Eugene Morris on the subject of humility. It's quite a wonderful conversation, and I know it's the morning drive. You may not catch all of it. I would encourage you, if you like what you hear, go to the podcast and check out the rest of this conversation. You'll be glad you did. Now let's jump back in time to our conversation with Monsignor Morris. It's been a while since we have been on the road to the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine, but like all things we know, the time will come, and we are happy to be back today with Monsignor Eugene Morris, Rector of the Oratory. Monsignor, always good to be with you. Adam, it's very good to be with you as well, and I am sad that it has been a while, so I'm glad we are back together again. That's the life of a rector and of a Monsignor. There, there are important things that you have to tend to that only you can tend to, and we have a lot of people that can talk on the radio. So, Well, you know, I enjoy talking on the radio too. So it's a it's a win-win, but thank you. It's good to be here. It, it is good to be back. Today, uh, you know, though we're, we're not here to extol ourselves Indeed. on the radio. We are here to talk about this wonderful litany of humility that we received from Cardinal Mary Duvall. Um, it's one we've prayed on the air, broken down really into two essential parts. 
Um, before we do that, let's uh, offer a little prayer. Is let's that all right? do that. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And gracious and merciful Father, through the intercession of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, we pray for the strength to give ourselves completely into your hands through a, a more fervent practice of the virtue of humility. Let us allow you to make up for that which is lacking in us, and let us allow your Spirit to guide the blessings and strengths you've bestowed upon us. We make this prayer through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, a great moment of humility right there, remembering this is not even about us. This is about growing closer to our Lord. So we have this wonderful litany of humility to help us with that, broken down really into two parts, a part where we ask to be delivered from a number of things, yes. a litany of things, if we, we could. And then the other part of the litany, asking for the grace to desire certain things. What can you tell us about this litany? So the litany is attributed to Cardinal Mary Duvall, who was the Secretary of State under Pius the Ninth. No, Pius the Tenth. excuse me, the saint. Because Pius X described him as the holiest man in Rome, and of course is coming from a man who himself is a saint. Cardinal Mary de Vaul is buried actually in the crypt of St. Peter's Basilica. And while this is attributed to him, there also is conversation as to this litany predating him by some several centuries, actually. So I think the attribution of it is more that he encouraged and exhorted people to pray it on a daily basis. Uh, the litany came to me actually through a very beautiful priest in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, Father Ira Bell, who has long since passed, who I met as a young seminarian who gave me the chalice, which I still use today for daily mass from Monsignor Winter. And it was in conversation with Father Bell, in addition to exhorting me to make sure I did my holy hour, which he had heard from Archbishop Fulton Seen when he was a young priest, he said, pray the litany of humility after every celebration of Mass, which was the custom for Cardinal Mary Duvall. And I had I began that and have continued that, few exceptions, but, but not many. And uh, it is a wonderful exhortation to that central virtue. We cannot grow in virtue if we are not striving at the same time we're trying to achieve other particular virtues, always diligent in practicing the virtue of humility. And I probably suspect that part of our conversation will go through some of these things that we are seeking to avoid, and also those things that we are desiring to embrace. But as I tell people, because I exhort my faithful to pray this all the time, is that when you begin praying it, God is going to answer it. And one of the things about the virtue of humility, to quote St. Francis de Sales, is you cannot grow in humility unless you are humiliated, which means you are going to be, there are going to be experiences if you want to grow in this virtue where you're going to have to be seen as foolish in the sight of men. And it, it's going to have to be an act. It can't just be the perception thereof. Something is going to happen to you where you might be embarrassed or ashamed or uh, vilified or calumniated or whatever it might be. Well, and that's what I was going to ask about, because as we look at this first section of the litany where we pray from 
X, Y, or Z, deliver me Jesus. The, the first half of that section, we look at some things that we would all want in our lives. We want to be loved. We want to be extolled. We want to be honored. I'd like to be praised. I'd like to be preferred to others or consulted or approved. These are all things that when they happen, we think, oh, isn't that such a great thing that someone loves me, that someone wanted my advice on something? And yet we're praying, Lord, deliver me from that desire of these places of honor. It is because the you know the spiritual life and and the fulfillment of the spiritual life involves being able to accept from God whatever it is that God bestows upon me, and that even means in a sense not in a sense it means letting go of consolations as well. Not that consolations are bad; they're they're good actually. I mean, Ignatius of Loyola exhorts us to store up consolations against those times of desolation, lest we lose sight of the power of God in our lives. But as we grow in the spiritual life, hopefully we even let go of those, meaning my only desire is to love God. And even if that experience of loving Him on my own kind of lived daily life is bereft of the consolations that often come from loving God, I'm still content to love Him. And so the first part is let go of these things that are praiseworthy, being extolled, honored, praised, consulted, approved, loved. Those aren't bad things. Obviously, they're very good things. But let me let go of everything so that God can be the only thing. Now, does that mean we should reject these things if someone offers us love or praise or honor or comes to us for consultation? Um, or we can accept them humbly and realize at the end of the day it's not about us. That's correct. So, the, 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 again, the ancient wisdom is all the things that are good come from God, all the things that are bad are of my own. And so if indeed these virtues are bestowed upon me, if people do love me or honor me or acknowledge me, the virtue, as, we, as we're praying it, seeking that humility, is to accept that. And, and in a sense, to accept that as a manifestation of God's presence in my life and something I think we often forget, my cooperation with that grace— um, one of the things that my faithful will always remind me, because they are very, very supportive of me, for which I'm very extremely grateful, is all the good things that continue to be happening here at the Oratory, and they will thank me for that. And my immediate response, not a false humility, is that this is God's work. And they will come back and say, it, yes, that is true, but you're also His instrument. So basically, shut up and accept the compliment, which is what we need to do sometimes, shut up and just accept it. Uh, it doesn't, because really it doesn't necessarily have to be about you. And if you actually understand that, then your response is simply to say, thank you. And in your heart, recognize what God is doing in you and through you and with you. I think in one of our segments with Father Wade Meniz, as we talked about that, that if the vice on one end is pride, in the middle is humility, but on the other extreme is the self-deprecation that we would not accept any praise or any good word. And that in itself becomes a form against humility, because the humble person would just say thank you and, and move on, you know. Because again, recognizing that the virtue of humility engenders in us a complete and total confidence in the goodness of God. So to be so thoroughly self-deprecating that I can't recognize my contribution in that is to somehow say that God, while right straight with crooked lines, certainly doesn't use evil to bring about good. So there must be something good about me. And if I cannot see that, God can. And again, that should be sufficient. 
I should be able to rest comfortably in that. Now, as we look at the second part of this section, we're still asking to be delivered from things. And I notice that we pray from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumniated, from the fear of being forgotten, ridiculed, wrong, suspected. We are not asking our Lord to deliver us from being rebuked or from being forgotten. Deliver me, Lord, from being forgotten. But from the fear, does that mean we should expect that as we grow closer to our Lord, all of these things, suffering rebukes, having false things said against us, being forgotten, ridiculed, wrong, suspected, we should expect those to happen? I don't know if I would say we should expect those to happen as if it is cause and effect, meaning the closer we grow to the Lord, these are the things that happen, because we know the converse is more true, and that is the closer we grow to the Lord the better we actually really are able to grow in that virtue of love for love's sake. But it does mean that we have to prepare ourselves for these realities. And in truth, we know that again from the world in which we live today and and how much Catholicism has been pushed to the fringes. Christianity writ large, but certainly the fullness that is our faith has been pushed to the side. We are being mocked and ridiculed and wronged and being falsely accused and being suspected. We have to accept that. And again, what humility should be fostering in us is uh, a freedom and really even a joy. So again, my, my hero Ignatius of Loyola enjoins us to accept the sufferings and to embrace the cross with joy, or that beautiful Franciscan image of the arm of our Lord who's on the cross around the shoulder of St. Francis, and that that intimacy that Francis had, the first to receive the stigmata. We, we don't run away from the cross. Um, we embrace them when they come, and we embrace them with joy. And so what this is asking, as we remove that fear, which is an obstacle, because once that obstacle is removed, it does allow us to not only accept the ridicule, the mockery, the suspicions, but to accept them with joy. And that's the key, the joy in the midst of the suffering, not with resignation or any sense of defeat, but really, again, my, one of my, and I know I've quoted it many times because I love it, uh, the apostles went away rejoicing they'd been found worthy to suffer in the name of the Lord. That's what we want for ourselves. We move from asking for deliverance from things now to asking our Lord for the grace to desire certain things, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything. And and this one always I take note of, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. We ask Jesus to grant us the grace to desire all of these things. There's a lot to unpack here. There is. I think the, 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 my, my first thought is, if you look again at this litany in its three parts, being delivered from desires, being delivered from fear, and now all of these are directed toward the other. So they really are a, a perfect articulation of the virtue of love in the Christian dispensation. Love as Christ loves us, which we know had to cre- create a new word to describe it, means we love the other more than we love ourselves. That's what this litany is actually asking from us. Not just that these things would happen to other people, but that they would happen in a way that I would be outshined by them as they happen to other people. So their esteem, their their increase and my decrease, their being chosen and praised and preferred and holy. 
It's not just that I want you to be holy. I want you to be holier than I am. I want you to be more esteemed. I want you to be preferred. Because that's what love is. It is more concerned about you than it is myself. So you start with this litany by being emptied. Then in that, that paucity, you also remove any obstacles that would uh, possibly take up that space of that poverty that you've created by letting go of these things. And then you now move to this last beautiful piece and you allow yourselves to be filled because others are filled. This is what's radical about Christianity. We forget this. We talk about love, love this, love that, da, 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 da. We use the word and we've emptied of its content. It's more by like and feel and affective and emotional. Love is the cross. Love is more of the other and less of myself. And that's precisely what you're asking for here. Yes, you're asking for specific things. And like you, that last one is the one that always gets me, that I, that others become holier than I, provided I become as holy as I should. And when you think about it, that's how it should be. As long as I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, that which God wants to give to me will come. But what I want is not just those things that God wants to give to me. I want better things for everybody else than myself. I think of it this way. If, if life is a race, as St. Paul would write, run so as to win, um, I also think of exams. And a good friend of ours uh, recently took a test, and he passed. There's a minimum passing score. And if you pass, you get the designation, the professional designation that he sought. And so if I am as holy as I should be, then God willing, I will get to heaven. And so I hope my kids are holier than I am, because if I'm as holy as I should be, and that gets me to heaven, if they're even holier, then God willing, they'll for sure be in heaven. It's, it's kind of a weird way to think of it, but... Well, I mean, I think, I think even to distill it even further is if you want to get to heaven, the holiness you seek has to involve the desire that other people get there, not just with you, but before you. Or maybe they get there and actually you don't. And that's the sacrifice that you would have to make. I would often describe with some of my directees that the life of a priest, I borrow this from a secular movie, but I think it some works a little bit for, for the priest as well. We're sin eaters. We consume so much of the the difficulty and the detritus of the of the human condition, not only by hearing confessions particularly, but then also by making ourselves available for spiritual counseling, being with people in the midst of suffering, walking with them in their journeys. We take a lot of, in a sense, difficult things and we absorb them. That then in some ways just opens us as priests to the potential of maybe frustration and sadness and despair and anxiety, all you know, all the things that would come from bearing the burdens of others. But if I'm truly seeking holiness for myself, then it's always going to be, but if this is the sacrifice I have to make so they can get to heaven, okay, I'm, I'll run the risk in a sense of, of placing myself in positions that are always going to bring me a little bit closer to sin. But who did that? What does St. Paul tell us? He who did not know sin took on all sin so that we might be set free from sin. So this is exactly the Christian life, to take on the unthinkable that God, the uncreated, would take on the one thing that the human person created, and that was sin, in order that we can be set free from sin, becomes the example of what love consists of. And that is, I will take on anything even those things that might be harmful to me. So, you know, for your kids, you would consume poison 
if that meant that they could live. You would kill yourself. You would offer your life, literally. And we wouldn't even think about it. You don't have to even conceptualize. Think about, what are the situations where I would save my, my children? Every situation. You don't even think about it. That's what it means to love. And that's what we're searching for when we're looking for these, these last virtues. We want them, yes. We want them more for others. As we record today, and it's towards the end of September, and by the time we get to play this, it will be mid-October, some things will have changed. Right now, I'm on day 21 of the preparation for Marian consecration given by St. Louis de Montfort, and um, we had also hoped today to record another segment on withdrawing from the world, which we'll have to postpone for another time. But those two things are tangentially connected to this. That is, we talk about emptying myself so that I can go to our Lord through Mary, become a slave for the Blessed Mother, become a slave for our Lord. Well, does the slave do what he wants, or does the slave do what the master wants? You do what the master wants. And as we talk about detachment and withdrawing from a world that says, you, 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 seek out the best you can get, the highest position, walk over anyone you need to walk over to get there, it's all about what you want to do, up to and including the taking of innocent human life through the tragedy of abortion. Uh, we're trying to get away from what the world's saying. We're trying to live for the eternal this is a very powerful prayer, then, for us as we strive to do that. Adam, without a doubt, uh, I would encourage all of the Covenant Network family that's listening to let this be a part of their daily prayer. In addition to, hopefully, frequent Mass, certainly the daily recitation of the Rosary, according to the exhortation of Our Lady at Fatima, this should also be a part of your prayer, whatever else you do. And so if the only thing that you are able to do during the course of a week is to pray your rosary and pray this litany, you will be doing something very good, because it does, it works, it brings you away from yourself. I want to touch a little bit as you talk about your consecration, which as you say will hopefully be complete by maybe being closer to completion. That image, of course, that St. Louis de Montfort uses of the slave, the doulos of Our Lady, of course, is extremely offensive to politically correct society and culture. We cannot in any way extol the virtue of slavery. And of course, in kind of in the more modern conceptualization of that, we shouldn't, obviously. No one is saying that being a slave as slavery has existed, whether in this nation or throughout history, is a good thing. But this, again, is in the Christian dispensation, because this slavery actually is one that sets us free. This slavery, which is radically dependent upon the master, is not cruel or unusual. Uh, it doesn't dismiss our dignity. It doesn't beat us down. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't separate. It does the exact opposite. And again, notice God in through his saints, uh, how beautiful he actually is, that he takes something, again, that the human person has perverted and turns it upside down and uses it now through this beautiful consecration as a way of helping us understand, I am the I, and I know the community knows this, I'm, I'm, I'm a black man, talk about myself as a slave to Mary. Well, wait a minute, dude, you can't do that. You're, you, you hear people, there. Like, you don't get it. You don't get it. This, this is exactly not only what I want to be, but who I actually need to be. And if you understood that, you would embrace this slavery with the same degree of joy and enthusiasm as all those others that you're experiencing now who've gone through, who have consecrated themselves through St. Louis de Montfort's consecration. 
Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen writes about this in one of the many books I'm reading right now, and he talks about three different kinds of slavery, the slavery to our base passions that we should work to overcome. You know, oh, I just can't stop eating this pizza, or I just can't stop, you know, I, I, I have to do this all the time because I just love it. We become enslaved to our own passions. We should work to avoid that. The involuntary slavery, which you mentioned, which is you know just a sad component of human history through through many many ages and nations, but then he gets to this voluntary slavery, and he gives us as the first example of the voluntary slavery to our Lord, who the Blessed Mother, who freely, very 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 freely, by virtue of her immaculate conception, gives herself over fully to our Lord with her fiat. And that's the language that she uses. I am the, we translate it as servant. The Greek, I think, is doulos, which is better translated as a slave. I am the slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. And of course, what is one of the insights from St. Bernardine of Siena, who wrote beautifully about Our Lady in every aspect of her life, but extols especially her humility, because it made her, he says, the, Our Lady's perfect practice of humility, it's a beautiful image, made her the perfect wheel of the Holy Spirit to be moved at the promptings of the Holy Spirit at any time in any direction. That humility that makes it possible for us to give ourselves completely in the hands of the Lord and to be guided wherever it is that he wants to lead us. I can think of no better way to conclude this segment than by asking you, could we pray this litany together with our listeners? By all means. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebuke, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it that others may be chosen and i set aside jesus grant me the grace to desire it that others may be praised and i unnoticed jesus grant me the grace to desire it that others may be preferred to me in everything jesus grant me the grace to desire it that others may become holier than i provided that i become as holy as i should jesus grant me the grace to desire it and may the blessing of Almighty God, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, Monsignor, thank you so much for having us here at the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this. Vocation Prayer for Youth O Holy Spirit, Spirit of wisdom and divine love, impart your knowledge, understanding, and counsel to youth, that they may know the vocation wherein they can best serve God. Give them courage and strength to follow God's holy will. Guide their uncertain steps. Strengthen their resolutions. Shield their chastity. Fashion their minds. Conquer their hearts. And lead them to the vineyards where they will labor in God's holy service. Amen.
It is Wednesday, and we are talking about welcoming the stranger this week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. So we pause our day to check in with Patty Schneier. Patty, what do you have for us today? Well, we're talking about welcoming the stranger this week, and it's a topic that's very, very near and dear to my own heart. I think it's because I've witnessed so many people do it well. I've had people in my life that I've seen welcome the stranger. And I don't necessarily mean into their home. I mean just out on the streets encountering people that they don't know. The least of these. Um, someone might need a help. Someone's in need of just a helping hand to help with their their groceries that they're carrying. And a person will come up and help that stranger. And I always say to myself, I want to be that person. So one way that I saw someone do this well was with a stranger. We were in a rest stop on a bus trip to the March for Life, actually, on our way to Washington, D.C. And we were in Indianapolis and, you know, in the middle of nowhere, really stopping at a rest stop. And I watched someone say to a person who was sitting there, might have been a homeless person, I'm not really sure, we never really know, but a person was there, and I saw this person go up and just say, what's your story? What's your story? And I now use that as a way to make conversation with somebody. Maybe I'm sitting next to them. Like I said, it could be an airport or wherever it is. I find myself in airports a lot. And this person may say something or might need some help. I'll say, what's your story? So what's your story? You can say it different ways. So what's your story? And you're opening up for them the opportunity to just share a little bit about who they are. And so I just want to offer that phrase. Maybe you can use it with someone. So what's your story? As in, why are you here? What brought you here? What's going on with you today? It's a way to be kind, to be welcoming. And it's just a little phrase. And I offer that today for you to maybe find it in your heart to welcome someone, a stranger, in your midst with those words. You've kind of left me speechless with this one today, Patty, if I'm being honest. But I really, I'm loving this week so far. So I'm not going to try to add anything to this or say anything more other than thank you. And I look forward to tomorrow. Vocation prayer for youth. Oh, Holy Spirit, Spirit of wisdom and divine love, impart your knowledge, understanding, and counsel to youth that they may know the vocation wherein they can best serve God. Give them courage and strength to follow God's holy will. Guide their uncertain steps. Strengthen their resolutions. Shield their chastity. Fashion their minds. Conquer their hearts. And lead them to the vineyards, where they will labor in God's holy service. Amen. Well, that's the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to hear more of it, well, be sure to check out the Roadmap to Heaven podcast wherever you get your podcast or by visiting ourcatholicradio.org. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's been very good to be with you. I hope that you're having a great week, and I hope as this program airs, I'm having a great week too. But let's most importantly pray for one another, no matter where we are, whether it's vacation, or in school, or at work, or at home. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. This has been Roadmap to Heaven. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.